Hey Icon, uh, hello wherever you are today and happy anniversary. Today we are celebrating our one year anniversary and if I'm honest, this year has gone exactly like we planned, right? The hope was to spend half the year meeting together, enjoying, growing together, and then half the year in desperate lockdown and never getting to see anybody. Perfect, right? What a great way to spend our first year. Uh, but here's what's amazing about this last year is that God has been faithful, you have been faithful and committed to what we're doing. And a year later, we still exist despite everything that's going on. And, uh, and for those of you who are watching this at 10, uh, I can't wait to see some of you guys at Madison Beach Park. Uh, for those of you who are watching this at five, I hope I got to see you at Madison Beach Park. But either way, uh, just fun to be able to celebrate one year. And so we're gonna take a, a Sunday in between Romans and Genesis and talk a little bit about who we are, why we exist as a church, and what uh, this next year might hold for us. So I uh, want to look backwards and celebrate as we have already, but also look forward to this year. And I don't think there's a passage that does that more effectively than Ephesians chapter 4 verses 1 through 16. So go ahead and turn there, Ephesians chapter 4. In it, it says in verse one, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. This is Paul, okay, in Ephesians, writing from prison, actually, uh, to these people. And, and the first three chapters of Ephesians are gospel, 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 right? So when he says, I therefore, this is in light of what he's been teaching about the gospel, uh, he wants us to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called, okay? This is, this is Paul's so what to the gospel, okay? If Jesus actually is who he says he is, did what he says that he did, now it's on us to respond and to walk out, to actually live out the calling to which we've been called. Now, this isn't, as we might read this, depending on kind of your background, this isn't guilt. This isn't shame. This isn't coercion. This is Paul inviting us into um, kind of a, a full embrace of our gospel identity and then walking that out in real life. Now, what would that look like? He goes on, verse 2 and 3. He says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Now, let me, let me kind of reread that and just, I want you to ask yourself how much of this you're experiencing right now uh, in your life, right? So he says, humility and gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain unity, and it being existing in the bond of peace, eager to exist in the bond of peace. So humility, gentleness, peace, unity, are we seeing a lot of this in our world today? We're not. Are we seeing a lot of this in our lives today, personally? I mean, it's easy to kind of look outside of ourselves and go, oh my gosh, there's so much craziness and sanity. But how much of that is actually also reflected inside of us, right? Like that's what we can control. We can't control what's going on out there. We can control what's going on in here. So Paul is calling us to, to embrace our gospel identity and live that out in ways that reflect the gentleness and the humility, the patience, the bearing with one another in love, okay? 
Now, I, I just, in, in light of everything that's going on in our world, just the, the craziness and genuinely riots and looting, uh, but also just the day-to-day -day pain and suffering that we're experiencing because of the pandemic, the isolation and all of that, it, it makes me wonder, man, if we here in Seattle, we're known, Christians here in Seattle, we're known primarily for gentleness, for humility, for uh, uh, you know, unity, for, for urging each other towards peace. Like what kind of impact could that have beginning with our own lives and our own families and our own neighborhoods, but, but really the entire city? Like Paul is urging us to be the solution to exactly the problems we're facing in our world today. The, the fullness of the gospel manifest, right? The gospel taking root in our hearts and working itself out in our lives, the fullness of the gospel manifest in our lives is the antidote to the sickness we see around us and the sickness we may not see within us. So how do we do this? right? Paul is in, urging us, inviting us to kind of take on the fullness of our gospel identity. But how do we do that? It's like a lot easier said than done, right? So he goes on, verse four. He says, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father over all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, this, this may at first glance seem like a bit of a non sequitur, right? Like he's talking about unity and gentleness and all this. And all of a sudden he goes, there is one God, one Father, one unity, one faith, one baptism, one hope. Why? Like, why, why would he orient us back to those things, okay? He's called us to some activities, called us to embrace the fullness of manifesting the gospel in our lives. And then goes, listen, the only way to do that is if you understand the truth, what is, right? So he, he, he kind of lays this gauntlet down and then he goes, there is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father overall. In fact, to, to orient us back to what actually is, okay? Because so much of what's going on out there is disorienting, it's complicated, it's difficult, it's confusing, it's a lot of times intimidating to be able to kind of wade through all of it. And so Paul goes, listen, there's a lot of crazy out there, there's a lot of insanity, there's a lot of confusion. The only way we can be a people who are known for our gentleness and our patience and our humility and, and our unity is if we constantly orient ourselves back to what we know is, what is firm beneath our feet, that there is one body of Christ. There are no gradients or divisions, no matter how many we would like to paint. But there is one spirit who gives life and who convicts. That it is the spirit who convicts us, not one another necessarily. That there is one hope that the future is secure in and because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That there is one Lord. That there is only one to whom we bow. That there is only one to whom we pledge allegiance. That there is only one Lord that we follow, no matter who else makes claims around us about who we have to follow and what we have to adhere to? There is only one Lord. There's one faith, right? There's no adjectives in front of our faith. There is only one Christian faith. So we can't have this kind of Christian, I'm this kind of Christian, or that kind of Christian. There is only one Christian faith. That there is one baptism 
that seals us all together. And then most importantly, there is one God and Father who is over all, through all, and in all. When our eyes are always towards what is always true, we become who we are. That, that's, that's what Paul is orienting us towards. Let me say that again. When our eyes are always towards what is always true, that is what empowers us to become who we are, right? People draw lines. People make divisions. God doesn't. God doesn't do that. God does not look down on our world and see a, a bunch of lines and divisions and difference and groups and tribes. He sees people. He sees us made in his image and is calling us, urging us, redeeming us back to become who we are. It is God, the Father, who is over all, in all, and through all, who unites and empowers. And yet, he has consistently, from the very beginning, used people, and in fact, I would argue, uses institutions, groups of people gathered around shared values in order to change people. And we're going to see that here in this passage. Verse 7. He says, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Right? So, so Paul says grace was given according to Christ's gift and that he gave gifts to mankind. As Christ ascended back into heaven, he left behind gifts for mankind and to mankind. So what are those gifts and what are they for? Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers. This was God's gift to his people that he called and equipped, gifted some people to be able to lead in the church. He says they are the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and the teachers. These are church leaders. Not just paid staff, but these are community group leaders. These are icon group leaders. This is our leadership team. These are our elders. These are people specifically called and equipped to lead the church, right? The church as an organization, right? We say this all the time that icon is not a place. It's not a thing. It's a people. So churches, all churches, kind of exist in two different ways. There is the body of the church in the sense that you are a part of ICON, I am a part of ICON, we together are ICON, and there is another way to think about our church that is kind of, and excuse the phrase, but like the church as an organization. Like, what do we exist for? What does the staff exist for? What do the leaders exist for? What's the, what's the arc and the purpose of our church? Why do we exist? And I personally am pretty invested in this answer because it's basically answering the question like, why do I have a job? And I, I like having a job. And I like specifically the job that I have and I'd like to keep it. So I'd love to have some clarity around what it is. Like, why am I here and what is this for, right? What does the church as an organization exist for? Verse 12, Paul says that he gave to the church, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, right? Now, this is probably, if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've probably heard this passage taught. The, 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 the five-fold ministry, the apostles, prophets, evangelists, shepherd, teachers, to equip the saints to the work of the ministry. Now, often, 
and, and I'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus here, but often when pastors say that, what they're saying is, it's my job to equip you to run the church, right? To do the work of the ministry is often like the subtext of that or the understanding is that the work of the ministry is the work of the church. And I think that's exactly wrong. I don't think that's at all what Paul has in mind here, in large part, because when this was written, there wasn't churches as organizations, right? Like, that's not, not what was happening, right? So what Paul here is saying is that the apostles and prophets, evangelists, shepherds, teachers, the church leaders exist to equip you to do the ministry of Christians. What is that? We have said this over and over and over at Icon from the very, very beginning, right? that the story of creation, fall, redemption, restoration is the, the roadmap of the Christian life, right? That we were made image bearers of God and yet we are fundamentally broken, okay? Before that brokenness occurred in Genesis chapter one, we see what theologians call the cultural mandate, right? And the cultural mandate is God's uh, uh, giving of a vocation, a, a job and a purpose to all of mankind. And that was to be fruitful, to multiply, to make the world, to take thing one and thing two, to take the, the, the vital elements of creation and make new things, to build culture, to build cities, to build and create the way in which God builds and creates, that he put that ability and that desire in us so that we could take thing one and thing two and make thing three right? And for the kids out there, I'm not, this is not a Dr. Seuss reference, okay? This is not thing one and thing two. This is, these are the elements of the world making new things. That has always been our work, the cultural mandate, right? Now, when, when the fall happens and things start to break and break down, there is an additional aspect of our work that we've been given, and that is the work of redemption and the work of restoration, Okay, so there are broken things in our world and God has equipped us, given us the skills and the gifts to be able to heal the broken things, to mend and restore that which sin has destroyed. Okay, so when Paul says that the church leadership, the church as an organization exists to equip the saints to do the work of the ministry, here's what that doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that it's my job to get you to work for me. To, to work towards my ends. That's not what it's saying at all, right? Like that's not the work of the ministry. The work of the ministry is not to build up the church as an organization. The church as an organization is meant to build you up, to become who you are, to be able to accomplish the gift or the, the vocation, the, the call that you've been given since the very beginning that's gonna, that's gonna play out uniquely in your world according to what God has given you. Okay, so that's, that's the ministry piece of this. The second piece is the building up of the body. And this is, this is what we're going to see next. So verse 13, he says, until, so we're building up the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood or womanhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Four things, he says, unity, knowledge, maturity, the fullness of Christ. This is the goal. This is my goal. This is my job. This is Icon's job to help you become who God made you to be, to help you become who you always have been, to help you become who you are. That's why we say this all the time, become who you are. Icon's job, my job is to prepare you to be you 
in the real world to equip you with all of the knowledge and the maturity, the fullness of Christ to be able to navigate the world successfully. Icon as a church, Icon as an organization does not exist for itself. It exists for you. Okay. Um, I read an article this week about LeBron James, right? It's NBA playoffs and all that. Maybe you know that's happening. Maybe you don't. Doesn't matter. LeBron, best player, certainly of his generation, probably the second best player of all time. I, I get it. It's, it's, it's arguable, but Jordan's better. Anyway, so LeBron paid $1.5 million last year, which, you know, when you, when you make LeBron money, that's a drop in the bucket. It's still a lot of money. $1.5 million simply to his trainer to keep him healthy. And, and to me, the best illustration for the work of the church is that of a personal trainer. And I don't mean like the kind of personal trainer you just see in the gym who's trying to help you get bigger buys and tries, right? Not that guy. But, but specifically a guy like LeBron James' trainer. His whole job is to make LeBron James good at his job. And his success is entirely wrapped up in LeBron James being successful at his work, right? So people will come to, to learn from him and to be trained by him if they see that his people, the people that he's training are dominating their sport or dominating their competition, okay? I kind of see my job similarly, right? My job is to make you good at your job, not maybe specifically your work job, but your bigger, grander job of being fully Christian in the world. That's my job. My role, the way I see our role here at ICON as an organization is to prepare you to be successfully Christian in the real world. Now, why is this important? Paul goes on, verse 14, so that we may no longer be children. Right? He says, I want you to grow into maturity so that you may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. There are a lot of waves out there right now and a lot of us being tossed to and fro by them right? A lot of competing ideas, a lot of competing ideology, a lot of voices in our heads and online telling us what we should think and who we should be and, and what it means to be human even, okay? And so Paul, remember at the very beginning, goes, here, here is what it means to kind of live up to your calling, to walk in a manner worthy of your calling. And he described this gentle, patient, but strong person who's able to kind of navigate the world. And he says, the only way to do that is to orient yourself back to what is true, that there is one hope, one spirit, one future, one God and Father over all. And that it is the church's job to kind of consistently reorient us back to that truth about what is the truest truth of the universe, both about God, about yourself, and about the world. So that when the waves begin to crash and the voices get louder and louder, that you're able to see through it, to be able to kind of sift through those competing voices, to see God himself clearly and what is true about the world so that you can follow him faithfully and thrive as the image bearer you were made to be. That's, that's the whole idea. Right? And it's, so it's, it's my job, it's our job to equip you to be able to orient yourself, to aim towards what is always true. 
so that you can become who you are. He continues, verse 15, he says, Rather, rather than being tossed about, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. He says, listen, when we grow into maturity, when, when, we, when we get it, when we see it, and those around us are growing into maturity, things start to kind of click into place, right? Uh, I, all I got is sports illustrations today because all I got is sports illustrations ever, right? But there's this magic that happens when a team starts to come together, right? And you start to understand how the other players are going to move and, and shift and react to your movement. You see this really play out in basketball especially, but I was a baseball player and I, my, my favorite thing to do in baseball, I played shortstop for a long time, my favorite thing was turning a double play right? And as a shortstop, I would get the ball on a ground ball. I would turn and throw it to second base. The second base would turn and throw it to first base. And there was just a, just like a symphony happening in that moment where I knew exactly where my second baseman wanted to catch the ball. He would catch it and turn and, and not have a doubt that our first baseman would be there. And there was just this, this way in which it worked together as we grew together as teammates. And Paul describes something similar, only far more important. He goes, listen, the more in, that we can all grow up into maturity, the more this whole thing works together, that Christ holds us together so that we can be the body. I mean, it's literally using the illustration of a body, that, that the muscles and the tendons and the ligaments would hold together so that the body can be and do what it was made to be and do. And that's, that's, that's the job. That's the whole point of this that I am equipping you, we as Icon are equipping you, all of you together, to be able to work together like one body, fully fluid and working towards our greater purpose of kingdom impact. Now, how are we gonna do this at Icon in year two? Seattle can be a disorienting place to be as a Christian. Icon wants to give you the people resources, experiences, and practices that will enable you to become who you are, to live boldly in uncertain times, to have real clarity about who you are and what you were made to be, right? So we do this through community groups and icon groups, through our Sunday gatherings, whether that's an online gathering or hopefully soon in-person gatherings, to be able to be together, to worship together and experience the love of God together. In this coming year, we're going to launch membership, hopefully this fall. We uh, are going to launch a, a larger kind of uh, kind of bigger scoped leadership development program that I'm really, really excited about. Um, Josh Searcy is going to be launching uh, a mental health class and recovery groups. We have a ton of plans to be able to better equip you to hold together as the body, to grow up into maturity together so that we as a church, a collective pieces of hands and arms and toes and feet and heads and all of it together can be the body of Christ held together by Christ with our eyes fixed firmly on him that he might hold us together so that we can be who we were made to be. Remember back in verse 1 and 2. 
Paul's called us to live in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called and described it as humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. A lot of those words like gentleness and humility and patience, they seem soft, but I'm, I, I don't know if there's ever been a more difficult time to be humble and gentle and unified and at peace. This is something we have to fight for. This is something we have to grow into. These are the marks of Christian maturity, but this is what you already are. You are, because you are an image bearer of God, you are humble and gentle and unified and at peace, and you are patient. And it is only sin that has broken those things down. The pride and the impatience and the disunity, those are perversions and disruptions of the real you. Okay, so I, I heard a pastor, I'll finish with this, but I heard a pastor once give an illustration about art restoration. And I, I know less than zero about art restoration. I had to look up both those words. Okay, but here's, here's the illustration. He goes, when, when, a, when a painting is really old or when it gets marred in some way and there's light problems or smoke damage or whatever the case may be, the art restorer doesn't look at the painting and think, okay, what do I have to add in order to restore this back to its former glory? That's not the work. The work is to take away. The work is to see the dirt and the grime and the effects of age and pull them off to reveal what has always been underneath, the original creation of the artist. The original creation of the artist in you is patient and humble and unified and, 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 and is working for the good of this world. The work of redemption is not to make you into something new, it's to reveal who you are. That's the pursuit. That's, that's what we have to do together to be able to see clearly the one God, one Father, over all, in all, and through all, who works in us to make us one body, united by one spirit, looking towards one hope, uh, aligned under one Lord, embracing one faith, sealed together by one baptism, honoring above all one God, one Father, who is above all, through all, and in all. That's what we gotta do. And man, when we do that, we begin to see really clearly what we exist for. We begin to see really clearly what these waves are that wanna toss us to and through, and we're able to navigate them well in Christian maturity, working together as a body. And that's my hope for ICON this year. That is my prayer for ICON, but it is our plan as well. And we're gonna get that done. So let's pray together. Jesus, we, uh, we love you. We need you. Never, uh, never more than now. Lord, we, we, we need you now. We need you to orient us back to what is always true. Put our eyes on the, on the real things of this world. Lord, don't let the lies and the, the distractions avert our eyes from the things that are always true. Let us see with clarity who we are, who you are, who each other are. And Lord, see uh, also as clearly the fabrications and the falseness so we can see them for what they are. Lord, unite us this year so that we can be for Seattle what Seattle so desperately needs us to be, Christians.
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This teaching was recorded as part of our current sermon series at Icon Church. During our weekly gatherings, we move from the teaching into a time of response to reflect on and respond to the work of the Spirit. While we recognize it's hard to capture that in a podcast, we'd still encourage you to take a moment. Consider what the Spirit might be saying to you in response to what you heard. For more resources and details about how to join us on Sundays, visit iconchurch.org. As we say each week, Christ is all and we are His.